Uh, let's jump into Matthew chapter 4. If you would turn there, and I'm going to come back to Matthew chapter 4 in just a moment. Matthew chapter 4. And let me submit to you that there is a war going on, but we cannot see it. There's a battle going on, but we may not feel it. The enemy speaks words to bring us down, but we may not hear them. We are all under attack, but we may not realize it. We cannot perceive of this war because it is a spiritual war. It's a spiritual war. There's a spiritual battle going on. It, it is real, though we cannot see it, touch it, taste it, feel it, or hear it. We don't realize a spiritual war going on. As a Christian, to deny this spiritual war greatly jeopardizes one's relationship with God. As a Christian, to deny this spiritual war will keep one from being on the offensive rather than the defensive. As a Christian, to deny this spiritual war will mean being attacked. A Christian who denies spiritual warfare is like an aircraft carrier during World War II, sitting in front of a German U-boat. The aircraft carrier is sitting there with its sonar turned off, totally oblivious that it's about to be attacked. We've got to understand spiritual warfare. A Christian must realize the war that is going on in the spiritual realm, that there is more than we see. There's more that's going on. You may wonder, what, what, what types of attacks do Christians experience from the spiritual realm? As a Christian, the attacks that we will experience are usually temptations to sin against the Lord. You may, know, you may not realize it, but the main way we will experience this war that's going on is when you are attacked. The enemy, the devil, and his forces break through from the spiritual into the carnal world and attacks with an, and attacks with an enticement to sin. And all sin is against the Lord. We see that in Psalm 51.4. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, Jesus is attacked by Satan. Jesus models a way of handling spiritual warfare. He models a way to deal with the enemy. I want to read that passage. And my theme today is, Jesus is tempted by the devil. The spiritual realm is real. So turn to Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11, if, we, if you have not yet. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And just park there, because we're going to talk about that passage for a few minutes. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. I preached on spiritual warfare a number of times, uh, even here. I've referenced it going through the Ephesians series. Also, on Halloween, I always think it's a good time to talk about the spiritual realm that most of us are willfully ignorant of. And so I wanted to ap approach it a little bit differently today. So we're going to approach it from Matthew 4, 1 through 11. So let's read that passage, Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but in every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The devil then took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. 
Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Powerful passage. I'm going, to, I'm going to give a few applications, one of which is notice that the devil knows the Bible too. Probably better than most of us do. The devil quotes scripture right back to Jesus. But first application here, first practice the spiritual disciplines. Practice the spiritual disciplines. Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted. Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted while he was fasting, while he was practicing spiritual disciplines. Now, we look at this and we think, how was Jesus led by the Spirit to be tempted? And that is not to say that God tempted him. We have to interpret Scripture using Scripture. We have to interpret the Bible using the Bible. And if we look at James chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, it tells us that the Lord does not tempt. The Lord does not tempt. However, the Lord will test us, and the Lord will allow us to be tested. If you look at Job, Job chapters 1 through 2, we see that Job was tested by the devil, but God allowed that. But it happened by the devil. But also notice that the devil is on a very tight chain. Sometimes we think the devil is just running around doing whatever he wants. Not true. If you look at Job chapter 1 and again in Job chapter 2, the devil still had to go through the Lord before he could test Job. And, and, and God still put limitations on the devil in testing Job. The devil is on a tight chain, and even the devil is under God's authority. And someday, the Lord will throw the devil back in the burning lake of fire, and he'll be punished forever and ever. But the devil comes to Jesus to tempt him and to test him. And verse 2, what does verse 2 say? The text says that Jesus was fasting 40 days. Fasting is a spiritual discipline, and it, it is a spiritual discipline that oftentimes we don't talk about much in the church, including myself. I have not talked about it much. I've never done a 40-day fast. There are those that do them. Uh, the book, A Celebration of Disciplines by Richard Foster, writes a whole chapter on fasting, and he talks about his 40-day fast. Jesus was fasting. In fasting, oftentimes you will, not just oftentimes, all the time, you abstain from something in order to spend more time with the Lord. So maybe you will fast from breakfast or breakfast and lunch. And during that time when you would be eating breakfast and lunch, you are, you are spending time with the Lord, time with the Lord in prayer, time with the Lord in scripture, and time with the Lord in study. Jesus was fasting. Jesus was communing with the Lord at this time. If we want to go against the devil, we must be communing with the Lord. We must be spending time with the Lord. We must be ready. And then we must be on guard. Guard your strengths as well as your weaknesses. But recognize the devil wants to take anything he can. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. And sometimes the devil isn't messing with us because we're not really doing anything for the Lord. I'm not accusing any of you. That's between you and the Lord. But the more you are serving the Lord, the more you are out in your mission field, sharing the gospel, having God-space moments, the more you are growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, the more you are trying to overcome sin, the more you are trying to follow the Lord, the more the devil will attack. 
So the first application I gave you is be active in the spiritual disciplines. Practice spiritual disciplines. The second, and really falls under that, is know God's word. Know God's word. Jesus knew the word of God. I once heard someone say, let the word of God do the work of God. Let's look at the first attack. Jesus was hungry. The devil attacked Jesus where he was weakest. He was fasting. He was hungry. 40 days without food. I honestly have to say, I've never done that. You know those pill bottles that say don't take on an empty stomach? I try not to let my stomach get empty. I like to snack. I like to eat. It's great. It's fun. It's enjoyable. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not good at that spiritual discipline, okay? Jesus was hungry, and the devil attacked him where he was weakest. The devil says, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God. Now, why did he say if? If... If, if is a subordinating conjunction, and that does not mean the devil is challenging Jesus as God's son. It could be, Jesus, the devil could be kind of trying to say, prove it, prove you're God's son. But I actually favor that if could also be translated since. In other words, instead of saying, if you are the son of God, it could be translated, since you are the son of God. Since you are God's son... Just make these stones become bread. You can do it. Remember that in the previous chapter, to put this in context, in the previous chapter, Matthew chapter 3, Jesus was baptized. And as Jesus was baptized, the Spirit descended like a dove, and God affirmed, God affirmed Jesus' sonship. God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. God affirmed Jesus' sonship. So while in Matthew chapter 3, God the Father is affirming Jesus' sonship, in Matthew chapter 4, the devil is saying, since you are God's son, just do what you want. But Jesus was ready. Jesus had ammunition to take out that U-boat. Jesus used scripture. Jesus used Deuteronomy 8.3 and saying the word of God is my food. If you look at Ephesians 5.17, actually Ephesians 6.17. Ephesians chapter 6 has the spiritual armor. And the one offensive weapon, this usually offensive weapon in the spiritual armor, of the armor of the Lord is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Jesus responded to the devil's attack with the word of God. In the next temptation, Jesus will use scripture again. That's Deuteronomy 6.16. Then in the final temptation, Jesus uses Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. Jesus used scripture repeatedly to rebuke the devil. This implies that we must study the scripture and know the scriptures. We must make the word of God a part of us. It's not just memorizing it. It's meditating on it. It's making the Bible a part of us. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word have I hid it in my heart, that I will not sin against the Lord. We hide the word of God in our hearts. We make the word of God a part of us. God's word keeps us from falling during an attack. Study it and memorize it. Be active in those spiritual disciplines. So the first two. Be active in the spiritual disciplines. Know God's word. You know, I'm leading that discipleship training class, which is every Sunday at 5 o'clock, currently probably through the month of November. And as part of that class, we have to memorize scripture. We have to do devotions and actually write down what scripture you studied and what the application is. In a couple weeks, we will start inductive Bible studies, which is a one-hour Bible study. And I have to submit to you, these are disciplines we all should be doing as Christians. 
As Christians, we all have to be having time with the Lord in prayer, having time with the Lord in reading the Bible. I say, a chapter a day keeps the pastor away, okay? <laughs> Read a chapter of the Bible a day, or two, or three, and let the Word of God do the work of God. Memorize Scripture. That used to be talked about way more in the church. Make the Scripture a part of us. And we also need to study the Bible. There's different ways of reading the Bible. We could be just reading it, just reading a chapter or two, just reading it, just to let the Lord feed us. And that just takes five minutes. And then sometimes, I would say even weekly or biweekly, every Christian should be really studying. Where it's not just a 15-minute time of devotions. It's an hour where we're just letting the Word of God do the work of God and speak to us, doing cross-reference, looking at different notes, really meditating on the Word of God. Be prepared for repeat attacks. Jesus was tempted how many times? Three times in a row. And how many times did Jesus respond with Scripture? That really shows the value and importance in the Bible. And stand firm. If you look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 14, it's a passage about spiritual warfare. And in that passage, it says, after everything you can, you, you've done that you can do, it says, stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. Don't give up your ground. Don't give in to the devil. That's what Jesus did. Jesus stood firm and responded with Scripture. Take the spiritual realm seriously. I fear that we, are, we live our lives as if there's no spiritual realm. I fear that we live that way. And how we look at, I'm going to make a, like a brief excursus into talking about Halloween for a moment. And how we celebrate and practice Halloween might really show that. And, and, and so first, I want to show just kind of a, a funny pun, punny video about Halloween uh, made by Cedarville University. So I'm going to ask Ken to just go ahead and show this video about church harvest parties. We need sound. Sound. Can you start it over? Just double click it again. There we go.
So there's a Christian principle that there's some things in the world that we can receive. There's some things that we can and need to reject. There's other things that we can redeem. And I want to come back to that in a moment with Halloween and trick-or-treat because I think many times we are totally oblivious to this spiritual world. We are totally ignorant of spiritual warfare. And I want to share something that one of my mentors, Pastor Rick Sams, Rick Sams of Alliance Friends Church, wrote about Halloween. He wrote this, and this was in the Alliance newspaper a few years ago. He says, Halloween's history. This controversial holiday does have an inglorious history, which may help explain why it's a hot button among Christians. My source is Halloween through the 20 centuries by Ralph Linton, Sterling Professor retired of anthropology at Yale. The name originated because that is the eve of All Hallows, All Saints Day, created by the Catholic Church to honor all martyred saints. The earliest Halloween celebrations were held by the Druids, a cultish religious, religious order in ancient Britain, Ireland, and France. These celebrations, starting in the 2nd century BC, honored Samhain, Lord of the Dead. Human victims were sacrificed at this festival held on November 1st, the Celtic New Year's Day. Black cats were put in wicker cages and burned alive on Halloween because they believed black cats could be witches who had changed into cats. Samhain was supposed to gather all the spirits of the dead on Halloween night. Gradually, fairies, goblins, and witches were added to this assembly. People practicing witchcraft, being opposed to all the church stood for, would gather on Halloween to mock the All Saints services and engage in their own occultic rituals. Eventually, the church charged them with heresy. These rites migrated to this country over the past three centuries. The addition of American traditions have been embedded into this day. The jack-o'-lantern represents a dead man, Jack, sentenced to roam the earth with a lantern. A pumpkin lit with a coal given to him by Satan. He was to continue till Judgment Day because neither heaven nor hell wanted him. This evolved into carrying jack-o'-lanterns to ward off evil spirits. Few people would oppose the fun of children dressing up, eating candy, and having parties. But when the fun becomes entangled with death and destruction, what are we to do? Aren't there plenty of ways we can celebrate the glories and goodness of God expressed in the fall colors and harvest without celebrating the scary, superstitious, and satanic? On the one hand, the Apostle Paul encouraged us to follow his example, to become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. 1 Corinthians 9.22 he learned the cultures of the people he was trying to reach with the good news of Jesus Christ so he could better tell them about Christ's love in life-giving ways. Paul also adopted some of the customs and cultural practices of those people as long as it didn't require him to compromise Christ in his life-giving ways and words. On the other hand, there are those who would have us run as far away as possible from anything questionable, even quoting the same apostle. To justify their separatism, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5.11, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's our challenge to study Jesus' and Paul's words and follow their examples today, having their same passion for God and for people. This requires a large measure of wisdom that only comes from drawing closer to the Lord himself, the giver of all good gifts. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. 
you know, I want to encourage you, take the spiritual realm seriously. There is a real spiritual war going on. Uh, we see in Revelation 12 that the devil rebelled against God and fell from heaven with one-third of the demons. There is a real spiritual realm, and I want to come back to that. But as we look at certain things in the world and in the culture, even like Halloween, we can see this idea of receive, reject, and redeem. There are some things that the world does, and there's nothing wrong with them. Christians can receive them, and we can receive them in good conscience, like chocolate. There's nothing sinful about chocolate. It's everything good. Uh, bring it in any time to the church. I have no problem with chocolate, okay? You can receive it. There's other things that the world does, and we look at it, and we think, we have to reject it. There's no way Christians can accept certain things. And, and I, I was trying to think of an example, and the best example I could think is certainly uh, the uh, just pornography out there, so out there right now. There's no way Christians can reject not only pornography, but a lot of the stuff in the, there's no ways Christians can accept not only pornography, but a lot of the stuff in a lot of the movies and TV shows that become pornographic. You can fill in the blank with that, whatever else we have to reject. The Browns, we have to reject the Browns, you know. <laughs> Good game later. But So Christians can receive some things. We have to reject other things. There's other things we can redeem. There's things we can redeem. And so I think trunk or treat, for example, is a good way to redeem certain things that the world likes to celebrate around the time of Halloween. Uh, trick or treat, it's up to you to pray about that and consider how you can do that in good conscience with your children. Uh, we could make the case, and there's a lot of Christians that write about it, saying this is a good way to meet your neighbors and to get out in the neighborhood and to know them. And I don't think trick or treat in and of itself is sinful. But certainly we do have to weigh everything we do. So receive, reject, redeem. Just always, you might always want to remember those three words when dealing with things in the culture. The text says that Jesus was tempted by the devil as opposed to hunger, pride, and to test God. This was a spiritual warfare act. This was a devil trying to tempt Jesus. The devil is the tempter. And I must add, sometimes we may not be tempted by the devil. We could be tempted by our sin nature. We could be tempted by sin around us. We could be tempted by demons or anything else. It may not always be the devil. But sometimes we do not take this, the spiritual realm seriously, and we give the devil a foothold. Ephesians 4.27 says, do not give the devil a foothold. There's things that we know. We might know that we deal with alcohol, and we cannot drink alcohol under control. And if you go to a certain place, you're going to drink. Don't go there. Don't give the devil a foothold. You might know that if you're around certain people, you always end up plunging into sin. Don't go there. Don't give the devil a foothold. Um, there's many different examples of where we must, we must be careful and not give the devil an opportunity. A warning here is watch out. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be on the alert. The devil goes around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil is active. The book, The Screwtape Letters, is fiction written by C.S. Lewis, but is very good, kind of bringing in a fictitious way the spiritual war going on. And I'm sad to say that far too many Christians are fascinated by the spiritual realm, and they're putting even Halloween before Jesus. And many other things. You know, Hebrews 12, 2 says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Why do we do things like watch ghost hunter shows? Why do Christians get into these types of things like haunted houses and, 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 and things like this? Why do we do that? The Bible teaches quite clearly. 
Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. People do not have unfinished business. Once you die, you go straight with the Lord, or we could get in the other side without Jesus. It's really Hades, uh, where they go to as a temporary holding place of suffering. And you can read about different accounts about that biblically and scripturally. There's no people with last-minute business left as ghosts. That would be demons, and we don't want to get into that. Why do Christians get involved in Ouija boards? Why do we get involved in these types of things? Witchcraft and Wicca, these are some of the fastest-growing religions, growing at 20% in the United States right now. And, and, and there's studies showing that Europe right now, we, on, in some ways we think they're becoming more secular, more atheistic. They're not. They're becoming more pagan. They're going back to their pagan roots. And we are following. And Christians should have nothing to do with that. Spiritual warfare is real. And we, when we do that, we get in over our heads. Here's some applications. We must respond to temptation with Scripture as Jesus did. We must take the spiritual realm seriously as Jesus did. We must be prepared to respond to repeated temptations as Jesus was. Jesus also had fasted. He was in a state to be close to God. When we are involved in spiritual disciplines, we must guard ourselves from attacks. When we are growing in our relationship with Jesus and we are doing what Jesus wants us to do, be prepared. The devil is going to attack because you're a threat to him. We must be involved in spiritual disciplines, as Jesus was. How do we fight the fight? How do we stay on the offensive? We spend time with God. We meditate on the Word of God. We make the Word of God a part of us. We spend time in prayer. We spend time with our church family. These are spiritual disciplines that we must be involved in. The first thing, though, is to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I want to ask you, do you know him? And I mean really know him. I'm not talking about a one-time prayer of salvation. I mean really know him. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Do you have absolute loyalty to Jesus? Are you striving to have absolute loyalty to Jesus? He's talking to a professor at Asbury Theological Seminary. And, and in the conversation, he said at one point, technically sin is a break in a relationship. So if we are living in sin... Your relationship with Jesus is broken. You can cling to that prayer of salvation or that baptism all you want, but living in sin is a separation from Jesus. Do you know Jesus? If you're not spending time with the Lord in prayer and in, in Bible study and with the church and these spiritual disciplines, you don't know Jesus. Logically, you just don't because you can't know someone that you don't have a relationship with. You don't know your spouse if you're not talking with him or her and spending time together. You don't know your children if you don't talk with them and visit with them. And you don't know God if you're not active in the spiritual disciplines. Do you know Jesus? Is he your Lord and Savior? The Bible calls us to confess we are sinners in need of a Savior, to believe that Jesus is the only Savior, to commit our lives in him, to him and trust in him. Where we fall short often is trusting in him and committing to him. Things happen. You know, we're really, really, really committed to Jesus. And then we get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And we become brain damaged. I mean, technically we do. There's a surge of endorphins and things like that, and we don't think clearly in a new relationship. But you could take that to another level. We're really, really committed to Jesus. And then something else takes his place. Put in place a car or or uh, football season, or baseball, whatever it may be. I'm just thinking of examples. The devil is always trying to put, even sometimes good things, like chocolate, in place of Jesus. 
And God wants our absolute loyalty. Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, anyone can follow me, but he's got to deny himself and take up his cross and follow. We have a free gift of salvation, but Jesus calls for absolute loyalty to him. Following him. We're not called to be fans of Jesus. We're called to be followers of Jesus. Pray with me at this time. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this example of how you rebuked the devil. Of how you did not give in to temptation. How you did not give in to the devil. Jesus, I thank you that we learn from scripture that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Jesus, you are in us. And the Bible teaches us in James 4, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from us. Oh, Jesus, I thank you for that. We praise you and we worship you for the Holy Spirit within us. We thank you for your word, the Bible. Lord, I would ask that our congregation, all of us, that we meditate on the word of God, that we are active in the spiritual disciplines. We do not take spiritual warfare lightly. And I would even ask, oh Lord, that we will be attacked by the devil because we are pushing against what he's trying to do. Jesus, I pray that we are all part of what you're trying to do. We're growing in our relationship with you and the devil doesn't like that, Jesus. I pray that we are evangelizing, having spiritual conversations with others and we know the devil doesn't like that. Jesus, may we be active missionaries for you. And first and foremost, may we set apart our lives for you, submit to you, give you absolute loyalty. And if there's anyone here, who has not surrendered to you, or maybe they're the one living in sin. May today be the day where they confess their sin to you. Accept your free gift of forgiveness. Confessing they're a sinner in need of a Savior, believing that you are the only Savior, trusting in you and committing to you. Pray this, asking for your help this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.